Got their eyes smiling out of the way. Oh, sweet. I love that. It's a thing. It really is. You can really see it. Good morning, church. Welcome to our morning gathering. And for those online, welcome as well. Uh, For those of you who were expecting a kids' ministry barbecue, um, if you've looked outside, uh, if you haven't figured it out, that's, we're not barbecuing. It is kickoff Sunday this morning. You may have noticed the booths walking in. We have a lot of our ministries will be kind of, uh, they're ready to chat and uh, you'll be able to find out pretty much anything. Or you can just go and talk. They'll love that as well. But yes, just kind of get a grasp of what's happening, what kind of ministries are going on, what opportunities there are to be a part of the ministries here at Northgate. And so that's super exciting. And for those online, uh, you can always go to northgatebaptist.ca. We got loads of information there. All of you here can go there as well. Uh, Really, anyone can access that. Uh, We are looking for some help for grief share. Uh, Just throwing this out generally to anyone who's interested. We're looking for two people who are willing, or one or two people who are willing to prepare and serve snacks uh, for the grief share meetings each Thursday at 1.30. Uh, beyond preparing snacks and drinks, there's, uh, the commitment's only about 45 minutes per week. So, uh, and you can leave after you've served the snacks. And we're also looking for a man who's willing to uh, help on one of the teams of Grief Share. Uh, you're not leading the group, you're just helping out. So uh, if, you feel, if you're interested, if you feel God calling you to that, please contact uh, Mark Barrett, Pastor Mark Barrett. Um, or the office, and uh, we'll get you set up. Um, For any of this information, if you're interested in anything, if you want to know what's going on, if you want to sign up, if you need to contact somebody, honestly, northgatebaptist.ca, head right there. Everything you need will be right there. At this time, we're going to dismiss the kids. So if there's any kids who haven't already made their way to the fellowship hall, you can now make your way to the fellowship hall. Uh, I got a little scripture reading this morning. I'd like to take a look at Proverbs uh, chapter 30, verse 4, just as a bit of an encouragement. Um, as we approach this kickoff season, everyone coming back from holidays, everything starting up again, school starting up, um, programs filling your schedule, just a little reminder, a little encouragement. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you that you have all control of all nature, of all creation, of all people. God, that we can latch on to that. We can understand that no matter what happens, God, no matter what the outlook, what the, uh, what the ends might be. God, we know you are in control, God, and we don't have to worry. We don't have to be concerned with those things. God, we just need to step out and be a part of the means, God. Allow us to be a part of those means. Allow us to, to be drawn in, God, to be a part of the work you are doing. God, as we uh, continue on in our gathering this morning, God, as we hear from your word, We pray that you would change our minds and our hearts. 
God, we pray for all you've given us for the, uh, God, for this, uh, for the offering, God, for, uh, for the resources you've granted us, um, God, for, uh, for everything you've given us to be a part of your kingdom building. God, we thank you for all these things and pray these things in your name. Amen. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us this morning uh, for our big, you know, big welcome to everyone for our annual fall kickoff Sunday. Uh, and in many ways, today is better than I think I could have imagined or hoped for. Uh, lots of great stuff coming together. But uh, to be honest, as excited as I am for today and that it's finally arrived, I think it kind of comes with a tiny morsel of disappointment for me as well, simply because. You know, we had the whole open for summer plan and, you know, the premature possible end of restrictions. And yet here we are all wearing masks. And, you know, it's just it's not quite what I hoped it would be, uh, you know, just because once again, COVID has reared its ugly head. But that's kind of the way it's been for us, hasn't it? For the last like year and a half since COVID happened. Uh, COVID, it's just it's really COVID is that, un, you know, uninvited house guest that just won't take the hint that he's t it's time to go. Like, we're done with you. Um, and because of that, if you turn on the news at night, uh, in between right now, political pundits talking about how good their candidate is for the election, right now you'll pretty much hear a constant sort of news about fourth waves and hospital capacities and masking bylaws and vaccine mandates. And it really got me thinking about sort of the kind of messages that we're hearing night after night after night. And there's, I think, because of those messages, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of division among people. There's lots of name-calling happening right now. But I think if I were to sort of sum it all up um, to what the root of, going on, of what's going on, I would say I think that people are just very fearful right now, fearful and afraid. And everything we're sort of hearing, everything on the news at night is kind of living... <coughs> sort of leading us to live in this place of fear. Um, people are afraid. But that's why I actually am going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians this morning. Because as I was thinking about what I wanted to preach on this coming fall and what message I thought, you know, the church needed to hear and we needed to hear as the people of God, the thought that I had was what could be more timely right now than talking about joy? Uh, joy really to sort of counteract and offer us a different perspective on life than the fear that is so prevalent in our lives. And the book of Philippians, when it comes to joy, it will help us do that. The book of Philippians has been called the epistle of joy or the letter of joy. And I mean, you don't have to go far into it to see some of the references that, that are made to joy in the book of Philippians. In, in chapter 1, verse 4, Paul prays with joy. Verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, he rejoices that Christ is proclaimed. In chapter 1, verse 25, uh, Paul says he's living for, for the Philippians' joy in their faith. In 2, verse 2, uh, he asks the, the Philippians to make his joy complete. Chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Paul rejoices with the Philippians. In chapter 2, verse 28, he asks the Philippians to receive his co-worker, Epaphroditus, with joy. And he tells them in Philippians 4, verse 1, that they are his joy. And in many other places, Paul tells them, just rejoice in the Lord. 
That's what this book is about. The book of Philippians is a message of joy for the lives of believers. And we're going to be looking at that in the weeks ahead, but we're just going to scratch the surface of the book this morning. Uh, but as I often do, let me encourage you, uh, just kind of in the weeks ahead, uh, as we go through this book together, to try to read through the book of Philippians just on your own, in your own personal time, just about once a week as we're working our way through the book. That will just help this truth get deep into your heart. It'll help you get the most of our time on Sundays and mornings as well. So a little bit of homework for you, uh, but it will bless you, uh, I, I can assure you. Uh, and it's my hope as we work our way through the book of Philippians in the weeks ahead, that these messages will just be transformational in our lives, that God will use these words to shape our hearts and our lives and our attitudes as we study this incredible letter together. But most of all, that we would discover joy, that we would live with joy, we would fellowship with joy, we would serve with joy and have lives defined and filled and overflowing with the joy of the Lord. And to do that, let me read by way of introduction, only two verses this morning, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we just ask, Lord, as we come before you, that, Lord, you would prepare our hearts for the words you would have us here this morning. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in and through me, but also in each of our hearts, uh, bringing not just truth, but joy uh, as we hear these words, as we hear about Christ, as we just embrace our salvation, that that source of joy that is in you would well up within us and begin to overflow all around us. Uh, Lord, we just want to dedicate our time to you this here this morning. Um, may our hearts be surrendered. Uh, to our Savior. And we pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So on the topic of joy, uh, I'm going to start with something a bit unusual. I'm just going to tell you a joke. <laughs> just for, and just for the sake of a joke. Uh, uh, you know, and, and this is not just any joke. This is, this is my go-to joke. Uh, you know, when people are standing around telling jokes to each other, they ask me for one. This is the one I reach into my bag and I pull out this joke. And it's a groaner. I'll, I'll, it's, and it's starting to show its age a little bit. But this joke, this joke has stood by me through 20 years or more. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's that bad. Uh, and here it is. Are you ready? Uh, there's a guy named Art. Uh, his friends called him Artie. Uh, and Artie found himself just going through a run of bad luck. And financially speaking, Artie was broke, and the bills were coming due. So Artie, well, Artie was not really a very bright guy. So he decides, best way to get money, turn to a life of crime, of course. Uh, but he doesn't want to start by robbing a bank. He figures that's probably something you work up to. Like, I don't know if there's a, you know, corporate ladder in, in robbery, but uh, you're not going to rob a bank. You decide, I'm going to rob the local grocery store. I'm going to go to the Safeway down the street. And he picks, you know, a nice quiet time of day when there's not a lot of customers and only a couple, you know, cashiers working, just to be safe. And he walks into the store, looks around, and he walks up to the first cashier, and he simply says, this is a stick-up, give me all your money. Well, it's cashless society now. She opens up a register, it's practically empty, and there's nothing left but a single dollar. And Artie, Artie's outraged. 
It's like all of this planning and all I get is one dollar. He can't take it. Artie panics a little bit. He reaches over, grabs the cashier, and he chokes her. And she passes out. Well, now Artie has a problem. Uh, because the cashier in the lane just won over has just witnessed this assault. So our, our off, Artie goes to the next aisle, and he figures, chokes that cashier out too. Ah, she passes out. Well, now he's, now he's really worried and uh, decides, you know, I got to get out of here, decides to hightail it out of the store. But as he's leaving the store, a customer's walking in. Oh, no, they saw me. They can identify me. So Artie says, what do I do? He's got one move. Ah, chokes that person. They pass out, runs out of the store. <sighs> well, unfortunately, all this was caught on camera. I remember, Artie wasn't very bright. The police had little problem tracking Artie down and putting him in, the jail, uh, putting him in uh, jail. Well, the next day, big, bold headlines. The local paper had the headline. Artie chokes three for a dollar at Safeway. <laughs> Terrible. No, don't clap for that. You'll just encourage me. Uh, but you know what? It's good to laugh. <laughs> Life is too important and is too precious just to be endured. It should be enjoyed. Uh, theologian, theologian Elton Trueblood actually used to say this. He said, I don't trust the theology of any person who doesn't laugh. That's actually, that's really good advice. But you know what? It's better than laughing, rejoicing. And you know what's better than even just rejoicing? It's learning to live every moment of our lives with the joy of the Lord in our hearts. So not just rejoicing, but rejoicing always. Which is one of the goals of this letter that Paul and his young disciple Timothy write to the Philippian church. Because this letter actually seems to be written for the main reason of encouraging these believers and leading them to joy. Because you know what? Many of Paul's letters that he writes in the New Testament were written to churches because things were going wrong in those churches. You know, maybe in that church there was ill feelings between people or unresolved conflict uh, in the congregation, and they needed a rebuke. So Paul wrote them a letter saying, cut it out. And other churches that Paul wrote letters to, it was because the church maybe had strayed from good doctrine or fallen into some kind of sin. So again, he writes a, a letter that, uh, because the church needs some kind of correction. But the book of Philippians, is not a, it's not a rebuke letter. And it's not a correction letter. The book of Philippians is a way to go letter. It's a guys, keep up what you're doing kind of letter. And that's actually what makes the book of Philippians one of my favorite books in the Bible. Now, that being said, you know, there's, there was nothing special about the town of Philippi itself. Uh, Philippi was a Roman settlement with no sort of real claim to fame. I actually have a map, if you want to look at it, uh, kind of outlying where it sort of was in the, in the ancient world. And even though Philippi was, it was located on an important trade route and it had some strategic value for the Roman army, in all honesty, if it wasn't for this letter in the Bible written by Paul and Timothy, uh, chances are Philippi would have probably been mostly forgotten today in history. And you can actually read about Paul's time in, in, in Philippi uh, when he first got there. In Acts chapter 16, he, he gets there on one of his missionary journeys in the book of Acts. And when you read the story there, it's like, it's quite an adventure, actually. Uh, I mean, there's, 
there's a riot, there's an earthquake, there's a jailbreak. Uh, there's all kinds of interesting people uh, being saved along the way, including a wealthy businesswoman, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a Roman jailer and his entire family. Um, man, imagine having those people on a small group together. Like, you know, but from that rather sort of strange group of folks that we read about came the start of what would be, I think, one of Paul's happiest church planting successes in the, in the city of Philippi. To the point where even years later, uh, as he sits down to write this letter, when Paul thinks about those friends that he made in Philippi, they still bring a smile to his face and they still bring joy to his heart. Which is certainly probably unusual considering where Paul is sitting where, when he's writing this letter. Because he's not, you know, in an office behind a nice, you know, wooden desk on a nice leather chair uh, writing this letter. Paul is writing this letter under house arrest in Rome. Uh, he actually mentions his arrest just a little bit later in chapter 1. He talks about being in chains. He talks about being imprisoned. So get that image in your mind. Paul is being chained day and night to a Roman soldier. And he has no privileges, no privacy. There's no sort of common comforts that we all sort of would expect. His freedom and his liberty have been taken away from him. And it, this letter comes at a time when Paul's life, well, he would have, he'd already experienced immense suffering for his faith. Uh, he even recounts some of those struggles in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. Paul says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes, lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. That was a part of Paul's life as a minister of the gospel. It was like one sorrow after another, one trial after another, one you know, struggle and discouragement and hardship aplenty. And some of those things he talked about actually came when he was in the city of Philippi. But here's the thing. Even in after he had endured all that, and even though he was right now sitting in a, in, you know, under arrest, chained to a soldier, Paul didn't want to complain. He didn't want to sort of, you know, dwell on his sorrows and his burdens. Instead, on almost in, unbelievably, in this place, the one thing that Paul wants to talk about to this church is rejoicing. The one thing that he still wants to share with people, the one thing that keeps him going in these difficult times is his joy. And that may cause some of us to wonder, that can't be normal. I mean, how can a man who's under house arrest, chained to a soldier, who's suffered so much, a man of such difficulty, how can he pen such a passionate letter about the joy of the Lord? Well, the secret to Paul's unshakable joy is actually no secret at all. And it's already found within the first few verses of this letter, which you've already read. But hear them again. 
Paul, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're stopping there because I want to make sure you have heard the secret to Paul's joy. Because Paul's secret was Jesus Christ himself. And here, here, even just, we're three verses into this letter. And Paul has already mentioned Christ three times. He calls himself a servant of Christ. He talks about the saints in Christ. And he wants his readers to know the grace and peace that comes from Christ. The joy that Paul had, the joy that Paul wants the Philippians to share in, like everything else in Paul's life, was something that was rooted in Jesus Christ. In fact, in this letter, the only thing that Paul talks about more in the book of Philippians than joy is Jesus. This book is four chapters long, and joy and rejoicing are mentioned 15 times in those four chapters, but Jesus is mentioned about 50 times. 17 times in the first chapter alone. And that is not a coincidence. That's exactly the point. That joy is found in Jesus. Because you know what? Men have pursued joy from every avenue imaginable. It's said that the philosopher Voltaire thought that he could find joy in human reasoning. And yet at the end of his search, he simply wrote, I wish I'd never been born. Lord Byron attempted to live a life, a life of lust and pleasure. And yet his own testimony was simply the worm, the canker, and grief are mine and mine alone. Jay Gould was an American millionaire who sought joy in wealth. He had more money than most people could dream of. But when he was dying, his testimony was, I suppose I'm the most miserable man on earth. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his day. He had power and fame unrivaled, and yet... When he had all that his heart had desired, it said all he could do is weep in his tent because there were no more worlds for him to conquer. So why did these men fail to find joy? Well, it's because joy is not found in money or pleasures or fame or power or any earthly things. True joy is found in Christ and Christ alone. I love uh, author S.D. Gordon says it well when he says, joy is a distinctly, distinctly Christian word and Christian thing. Walter Chantry says, the only lasting and fully satisfying joys for any man lie on the other side of the cross. And Robert Rainey famously put it, joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. True joy, lasting joy, Christian joy is something that only comes from Jesus. And in the days ahead, you know, we're going to be going through this letter of Paul's to the Philippian church. And what we're doing is really we're setting our feet on the path to joy. And we'll be making that journey into joy that can only be found in Christ. But with that in mind, and at the risk of maybe sounding predictable, before we close this morning, I want to give you four applications. And these applications are lessons about joy. And they'll, we'll be coming back to, we'll be touching on these things again and again as we study this book. Four lessons I think we need to learn as we look to better understand and embrace joy in our lives as believers. And the first lesson that I think we need to learn is one we've already seen demonstrated in the life of Paul. And that is, Christian joy is not found in circumstances. Um, I found a quote by John MacArthur that says this. It says, happiness 
is an attitude of satisfaction or delight based on some present circumstance. Happiness is related to happenings. Happiness is related to happenstance, which is a word that basically conveys the idea of chance. Happiness is that which you really can't plan and program. It may happen or it may not. And it seems so elusive. And that's the best that men can do. But on the other hand, when we talk about joy, we're not talking about something that's related to chance at all. We're not talking about something that's related to circumstances at all. We are talking about a deep down confidence that all is well, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the problem, and that's very different from happiness. Joy to be understood in a biblical sense must be understood to be the permanent possession of every believer and not some whimsical delight that comes and goes as chance may offer it opportunity. You see, joy is not found in circumstances. It's found in Christ. And Paul himself will, will mention this a little bit later in the book. Philippians 4, verses 11 to 13. He says, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in wants. Why? Because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ. Because Christ is the source of our joy, not, not our circumstances. And that leads us to the second lesson I think we need to know about joy. And that is, joy is a choice we make. We have to choose joy in our lives. And some people think, well, joy must just happen on its own if we just sort of wait around long enough for it to show up. It'll just start knocking on our door one day. But the reality is, for most of us, joy needs to be a choice that we intentionally make in our lives. And I think we intentionally choose joy in our lives when we do two things. First, we choose joy when we choose to live with an attitude that allows joy to flourish in our lives. And that really means rejecting those attitudes and those things in our life that, that, that push joy out and squash our joy. Because you know what? Having a negative attitude, living with jealousy or anger or bitterness or selfishness or woe is me kind of pity or even a sense of pride and, or entitlement, those things are joy killers. Trying to nurture an attitude of joy with those things still in our lives would be trying to grow a flower while you're constantly spraying it with weed killer. It's, it's not going to happen. So the first choice we make is getting rid of those joy-killing attitudes, uh, bad attitudes. And then the second choice we can clearly make when it comes to joy is that we can choose to put our focus on Christ in every single situation. In fact, I almost feel bad that this is a sub-point because this is sort of the main point. Put your focus on Christ. And this step is so important, particularly at those times when we may not feel overly joyful. You know, I've struggled with joy at times, especially with that idea of being joyful always, joy in all circumstances, joy in all situations. I mean, do you really feel joy when the doctor gives you bad news about your health? Do you really feel joy when you lose your job? Do you really feel joy when you, you know, you lose a loved one? Probably joy is not our first response in those places. And when we're facing hard circumstances, chances are we can't just make ourselves feel joyful. But what we can do, no matter what the circumstance, is intentionally continue to focus our hearts on Jesus. 
and remind ourselves again and again of who he is. So that even in the hardest circumstances and deepest pain, we can still know that God is in control. We can know that he is with us. We can know that God does as he promises. We can know that his word never fails. And we can know that God will work in our lives even if, you know, we often don't see it or understand what he's doing. We can know that our lives are being used for God's glory, even when we don't understand. And we can know that God loves us. And even if we can't create feelings of joy, we can certainly have peace in our lives and we can surely be planting, you know, the seeds that will one day sort of bloom into joy in our hearts again if we continue to keep our focus on Christ Jesus in our lives. That's what will lead us back to a place of joy. We don't try to fake a feeling. We focus on Christ. Which brings us to the third thing uh, we need to know about joy. And that's simply, once you have it, make sure you hold on to it. Make sure you protect it. I would even say fight for it and don't let yourself trade it away for something less. Because you know what? There's so many distractions that will come into our lives that will try to steal our joy away from us if we're not careful. So many things that, honestly, just joy can just slip through our fingers if we're not being careful. I like how author Kent Crockett says it in his book, I once was blind, but now I squint. He says, don't sell your joy cheap. And then he tells a story. He says, one day my wife Cindy refueled our car at a filling station in a Texas town. But instead of driving to the self-serve pump, she accidentally pulled up to the full-service pump. And she didn't realize that that luxury service cost an extra 50 cents a gallon until she paid for the gas. Later, she told me how she had paid for full service. And I thought that extra 50 cents per gallon surely was some violation of a federal law. I quickly calculated that the extra $7 she spent on full service could have taken our vehicle 128 miles farther down the road than if she had if she, than if she'd bought self-service gas. The full service gas station robbery had me fuming for several hours. But as I was mulling over this terrible injustice, God showed me what I'd just done. You see, I just sold my joy for $7. And I never realized how cheaply I would surrender something so valuable, just as Esau exchanged his birthright for a bowl of soup. I exchanged my joy for $7 worth of gas. And then he asked the question, at what price are you willing to sell your joy? Because we sell our joy cheap anytime we settle for something less than Jesus in our lives. Anytime we try to substitute any pleasure or craving to fill our soul instead of Jesus. Like, like a child who spoils their appetite for a healthy service supper by eating too many cookies. Be it pornography, be it drugs, be it alcohol, be it pleasures or money. All of those things are poor replacements for the true joy that can be found. All of those things are selling our joy cheap. And things that will never satisfy. And yet we run after them anyway. And maybe it's because we so easily confuse temporary happiness in our lives with true joy. Or maybe it's just because we're forgetful people and we're easily persuaded to run after other things that offer us empty promises. 
But sometimes we let go of our joy and trade it for something less. Don't sell your joy for cheap. Don't settle for lesser things. Hold on to your joy and protect it. And then finally this morning, our last lesson on joy is simply this. That the time for joy is now. You don't have to wait to begin a journey to joy because that journey begins as soon as we begin to turn our hearts to the Lord. I found a, another article by a pastor who wrote of a time that he was driving his car through a rural highway in Kansas. He was between destinations with a broken radio and nothing to do but drive a long stretch of road across land as flat as the prairies and just watch the telephone poles go by, mile after mile, one after another. The pastor thought to himself, what am I going to do? I'm going to be so bored. But then the pastor writes, he says, in that moment, God nudged my heart with the thought, enjoy the moment. And I thought, what was there to enjoy? But then I realized I need to take pleasure in every minute of life, not just the exciting times, but all the time. And you know, sometimes I see this in my kids, and it drives me a little bit nuts. You know, we, we just got back from a vacation in B.C., at a place we didn't have the internet. <laughs> and my kids are like, what are we going to do? We don't have the internet. And I'm like, why don't you put down your phones and look at the beauty of creation in every direction for 100 miles. Like, just like, <laughs> uh, and I'm being, I'm being a little tough on my kids. But you know, so many people, they miss the joy of the moment, the joy of the present. Because they're not looking for it. Their eyes are some far off somewhere else and they don't see what's all around them in that time. God wants us to draw joy from every moment in every circumstance. Because if we don't, the life that God wants you know, us to enjoy will basically just pass us by. You know, moment by moment, sort of fleeting moment. Just like those telephone poles on that road. And if we think that joy is a destination that we're trying to get to, instead of being just part of the journey that we're on, we're going to miss it. Our life is a gift from God, and we are meant to live each moment to the fullest, to live each moment seeking joy. You know, I've said this before, but, you know, Jesus said in his own words, I love this verse, John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The King James translation says, have life and abundance. The New Living Translation says a rich and satisfying life. And the message paraphrase says Jesus came so they could have more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Jesus came to give our lives meaning. He came to offer us purpose. He came to be our joy. Because that's God's desire for our lives. Not to live lives of monotony and boredom and just grinding out an existence, but to live in joy of the Lord. A life of fun instead of fear. Because you know what? God made fun. God made puppies. God made grandmas. God made ice cream. God made bad jokes about artichokes. He lets that stuff happen. And God wants us that for us. God, God, because God truly wants us to live this life that he's given to us. He wants us to enjoy it, not just endure it. And as we go through the book of Philippians in the weeks ahead, I hope that we will be able to find that joy. I want us to find joy in living, joy in believing, joy in each other, and especially our joy in Christ, because that is 
the secret to getting the most out of life. That's the secret to a life of joy, and it's a secret no longer. And that's why we want to make it ours. And I see this morning, we're going to end by singing Blessed Assurance. And I thought, those words really bring this lesson home. I said, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. When we have Jesus and when we know his salvation, our song is a song of praise, our hearts are full, and our story is a story of joy in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, um, Lord, as we acknowledge, Lord, we sometimes, we, we live in a world of fear. That's especially bad right now as we see tearing us apart, disrupting unity. Um, you know, people just focusing on all the negativity. It's dividing households. And Lord, as we deal with this reality of the coronavirus and all of these other difficulties that, that we so often face in our lives, um, we just pray that, Lord, you would bring us a new perspective. And that perspective be, would be one of joy in Jesus Christ. Because, Lord, even though we live in a, in a fallen world, even though we live in a world where we know sin and sickness and death are realities, your joy can still be available to us. In a world of fear, Lord, we can still have hearts of peace and rejoicing. If we focus not on the negative and not on the things we're afraid of, but if we will focus our hearts on Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that blessed assurance that truly is ours. And Lord, I just pray that, that we would put our trust in you, that we would know you as the source of our joy and our salvation, um, and that, Lord, we would just begin this journey together as we look at the book of Philippians, a journey that would lead us more and more and more into the joy of Jesus Christ. For that's the only place that true joy can be found. In Jesus' name.